2: And I'm Karen Moscow. Stocks are moving higher. The S&P 500 up almost two-tenths percent, up three points to 2,112. The Dow Jones Industrial Average up three-tenths percent, or 60 points, to 17,982. And the NASDAQ, little change, down a point to 49.67. Ten-year Treasury up 8.30 seconds. The yield 1.70 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.77 percent. Nymex Crude Oil up seven-tenths percent, or 36 cents, to $50.06 a barrel. Comex Gold, down 3 Tenths percent or four dollars ten cents to twelve forty three thirty an ounce. The euro a dollar thirteen fifty six, the yen one oh seven point four two. Ralph Lauren is down 7.3% after forecasting a revenue drop this year, renewing worries about the American consumer. Biogen down more than 10% to lead losses in biotechnology companies after an experimental drug for multiple sclerosis, which had held out hope of altering the course of the disease, failed in a mid-stage trial. And Valiant Pharmaceuticals down 20% to cut its 2016 profit forecast. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike.
1: Karen Mosko, thank you very much. Last week... Energy ministers from 23 countries got together out in San Francisco to listen to Bloomberg surveillance on 960 in the Bay Area. And while they they were there, they also held the 7th Annual Clean Energy Ministerial Meeting to discuss ways to deploy clean energy at massive scales, which is one of the issues out there is there are a lot of clean energy programs, but the kind that could power countries, let alone cities, uh, not there yet. Uh, joining us now, Varun Sivaram from the Council on Foreign Relations, who follows uh, renewable energy technology and notes that, uh, in your view, uh, the technology isn't there and they need to go beyond what we already have, the, the idea of uh, solar panels on every roof. Yeah, absolutely, and, and,
0: and thanks for having me on. Um, I think that it's a very positive step that this year the Clean Energy Ministerial, in its seventh year, had a Mission Innovation Ministerial on the sidelines. Um, And the outcome from that meeting was that the world's uh, top 20 spenders on energy research and development will double their investment to $30 billion by 2021. Um, Bill Gates is also leading a parallel breakthrough energy coalition of 28 billionaire investors uh, to fund early stage clean tech ventures. And so there are some good signs emerging that uh, the focus is shifting to clean energy innovation, because like you mentioned – we certainly aren't there yet um uh, i argued in an essay in foreign affairs magazine with Taryn norris recently that today's technologies simply aren't up to the task of powering uh, an entire global energy infrastructure um we need we need batteries that are cheaper and last 10 times longer than yeah. what elon musk's tesla has for example and we need solar power as cheap as paint and uh, capable of producing clean fuels to replace oil
3: What is so odd here within our debate, and we're again having that debate within the presidential campaign, Dr. Sivaram, is to talk to somebody that actually gets the physics. You have a Ph.D. out of Oxford in condensed matter physics, which all you need to know, folks, is the dynamics of going from solid to liquid to gas and the various permutations in between. What I always learn from smart guys like you, Doctor, is scale matters. Where's the scale that will allow us to win at this, whatever our politics?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, Today, many of the technologies in the laboratory are exciting scientists like me. I worked on one of those technologies. It's called perovskite solar, and I can make a fingernail-sized solar cell. Um, That is the coolest thing that physicists have seen in probably 60 years in the solar field. But we haven't scaled it up yet. And until we deploy it in a real-world condition bigger than a fingernail, uh, no private investor is going to invest in that kind of technology. Um, That scale-up process uh, is sometimes called the valley of death, um, and many Silicon Valley companies experience the valley of death. The
3: valley of death is at 3 a.m. when Michael McKinnon come in the door and look for a Mm -hmm. cup of coffee. Continue on the valley of death within physics.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah, Go ahead. So, so the, the the problem with funding these uh, new, innovative, disruptive clean energy technologies is you got to do a lot of lab science to get your fundamental physics right. You know, yeah. we're working on how do we get the electrons out of this tiny solar cell, but there's a whole host of different problems that crops up when you've got to increase from building tiny cells to production scale factory uh, assembly lines, etc., to make a lot of these very similar solar panels. Uh, in large quantities. That very different set of challenges requires a lot of scale-up capital, and that's the valley of death, where private investors aren't willing to invest that kind of money when they can instead invest in a Facebook that won't require as much capital but will return astounding returns, right? Mm-hmm. And so the government not only has to help out in basic research and development for clean energy technology, they've also got to help out in bridging this valley of death um, in demonstrating technologies at scale. Because like you said, scale is the most important thing here.
1: Well, that would seem to put a premium on, uh, say, this uh, presidential election I've heard about this fall uh, with uh, two candidates who have uh, opposing views of whether we need uh, this additional um, clean energy technology. Uh, do, even if Hillary Clinton wins, do you expect government to be able to make that kind of commitment?
0: Yes, I, I absolutely do. Let me start by saying I think Donald Trump at least gets one thing right, which is you know, he's skeptical that existing technologies can take us where we need to go, but he has all the wrong policy prescriptions on how to get there. I think uh, Secretary Clinton uh, does, in fact, she's building a terrific team, uh, and she will, in fact, uh, put a commitment behind funding innovation. Not just innovation in, in laboratories, but innovation in the private sector. Innovation that well, scales up lab technologies.
3: We're balanced here. Do you see Mr. Trump doing the same thing?
0: I absolutely don't. Um, uh, I've got to say that uh, Mr. Trump, while he may be correct in his assessment of where existing technologies are, would prefer to roll back the Paris Climate Agreement than uh, invest in no. further clean energy technology development.
3: I mean, it's an interesting debate here between, I think, of Vinod Kosla who as far as I'm concerned, basically invented the popular concept of scalability. Scalability takes courage and investment. What area of climate dynamics are we going to see that scalability? People go, oh, there's a polar bear swimming around because there's no ice. I mean, we all get that. But where's the scalability to solve those kind of emotional checks that we see every
0: day? You know, the... The climate problem, if it's going to be solved, and I hope it will be, will be solved through economically compelling solutions, right? I don't expect that political will alone, in response to this emotional problem of climate change, is going to catalyze a wholesale energy transformation. We're already seeing the choice being played out uh, in developing countries like India, who say, look, I don't want to face a trade-off between economic growth and reducing my emissions. Right. I have a right to develop. Well,
3: you do that why with McKinsey. I, think... I mean, folks, I, let me interrupt. This is important. This is one of the hearts of McKinsey's approach: is you've got to win economically as well. Continue, Doctor, please.
0: Absolutely. So that's why I advocate investing in disruptive technologies that make it so economically compelling you can't do anything else. So, for example, uh, last week I advised the Department of Energy to set a cost target for solar that's 80% less than it is today. Now, today, solar is almost competitive with fossil fuels. But if it's 80% less costly than it is today, there will literally be no economical reason not to build out a massive solar infrastructure, despite the fact, for example, that solar is unpredictable and intermittent.
1: Well, I can think of one reason. Um, that uh, got Hillary Clinton into a lot of trouble during the uh, presidential primaries. And uh, that was when she went to West Virginia and said, we're going to get rid of all these coal jobs. Uh, suppose you develop these technologies. What happens to the people employed in the old technologies?
0: You know, there are absolutely going to be transitions. And the important thing, and what Secretary Clinton has absolutely recognized, is that transitions need to be just. That, you know, there may need to be transition assistance for communities uh, that have economic displacement because of the shift to clean energy. But I think that the returns from investing in innovation generate enough economic surplus, um, especially if this is the country, the United States, Mm -hmm. driving innovation around the world, that you can then compensate folks who are unfortunately victims of economic displacement and transitions.
3: Uh, Doctor, thank you so much. Veron uh, Sivaran is Dylan Fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, looking at uh, really some of the great, great challenges of. Uh, it's easy to talk about, Mike. It's easy to talk about climate change. It's another thing to do something about yeah. it that has scale and impact. As well, we might point out that uh, on climate change, uh, Michael Bloomberg has been. Uh, out front on particularly having cities find a solution. Mr. Bloomberg is majority owner of Bloomberg LP and, of course, owner of this radio station as well. I think we have to acclaim that, Mike. Yes. To be proper about it, Mike. An interesting day. I sort of enjoyed that we didn't do much central bank today. It was just like a nice relief. <laughs> from the Derby.
1: Now we know what it's what'd you, not gonna happen. What did you
3: it? learn quickly? Dennis Lockhart, I thought that was brilliant yesterday. He's way underrated. What did you learn from the economists from Stanford yesterday?
1: Uh, basically that uh the Fed is is data dependent, but that's a hard concept to get across to the markets and they know that. Um they're they're looking forward more than uh, necessarily backwards at a lot of uh, numbers. Yeah,
3: and they will see those numbers before June 15th. We'll try to bring you uh, perspective on that. And then certainly before July, the later uh, July uh, meeting, uh, yields come in. I want to point out the German 10-year yield, at 0.063%. That's really on my watch right now, lower yields this morning.
2: This is Bloomberg Surveillance.